So again, today we're talking about love because Jesus brings all of these things, and that's what we celebrate with Advent. But really, and what we've been trying to make much of this year, is that Jesus not only brings these things, but Jesus is. Right? Jesus is hope. Jesus is joy. Jesus is peace. Jesus is love. First John, uh, that, that majors on the Father heart of God, talks about how God is love. Right? God is love. Before we dive into 1 Corinthians 13, in order to get the text, we got to get the context, right? And it's important for us to wrap our minds around the context of what's happening in the church at Corinth. Now, the first thing we've got to know, and that probably should give us a little bit of hope in the church of 2022 today, almost the church of 2023, is that the church at Corinth was really messed up. Okay? It was really messed up. Um, the fact that Paul wrote three letters at least to the church at Corinth, we have access to two of them, right? It, 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 and, and the fact that they're kind of some of Paul's more lengthy writing, he, he really covers everything. There were a lot of um, bad things happening. There was a lot of um, backbiting. There was a lot of dissension in the church at Corinth. And one of the things that was causing the most dissension, uh, excuse me, the most dissension in the church of Corinth was gifts. Because they had something going on that maybe we've seen, maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't seen happen in the church today, is that people were going around being arrogant about the gifting that they had. Right? Thinking that they were better than others because they could blank, right? That they had more jewels in their crown or more stars or whatever, their mansion in heaven was going to be bigger, what have you, because they could blank, because they were gifted in this, because they this, because they that. And we've seen that, right? We've seen that. And so Paul actually bookends Book ends, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I'm sorry, whenever I talk about it, I just got to be like, the love, right? Because you got to just, the love chapter, right? He book ends, 1 Corinthians 13, with two chapters on gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about gifts. What about? I'm glad you asked. The fact that God gives everyone a gift. So, so, so hear me very clearly this morning. If you're sitting in this room feeling worthless for the church of Jesus, you're not. You're not. Paul goes at length to talk about how different people have different gifts. We don't need, and I say this often, hopefully you've received it by now, we don't need another Travis Bush at Summit Church. Can I get an amen? All right. I'm good with it. We don't need another Zan Cadman at Summit Church. We don't need another Stan Gavin. We don't need another Ashley Collins. We don't need another Norma Willis. We don't need another Jen Willette. Amen? Okay, awesome. Right? Each one of us is gifted. Now, can I tell you something, though? We need you. Because we need the gift. We need the way that God has wired you for the church of Jesus, for His glory, to operate in the way that He's gifted you. But what Paul is getting at with the church at Corinth is he's saying, listen, Extroverts, you're no better than introverts. Okay? Uh, singers, 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 do not flaunt your singedness. 
and the fact that you can hear notes and, and match them on those of us that can't. Okay, there's a reason I don't sing into a microphone on this stage because I want you to come back to Summit. Okay, and I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Okay, um, um, you, you get the point, right? Teachers, preachers, we are no better than those that stood out this morning greeting folks. And so, and so while they were comparing notes and they were trying to shame other people because their gifts weren't as good as theirs, Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I will show you a more excellent way. And then he, and then he goes in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he spends the entire chapter um, talking about love, and many of us misquote it, misreference it in weddings and all of that, and it is a part of every wedding that I do because they're beautiful words, and if we truly grasp the concept of love, wow. But what Paul is getting at is, I'm going to show you a more excellent way to treat each other when it comes to gifts. I'm going to show you a more excellent way to treat each other when it comes to gifts. And when I read 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 30, the last part, and I will show you a still more excellent way, I think of Bill and Ted, don't you? The most excellent adventure, some of you? Movies from the 80s, 90s, okay. Thank you. Very good. I just wanted to show you I was relevant. Okay. But then Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have all the faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I gain all that I have, excuse me, if I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures, underline, star that, all things. Love endures all things things. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, that being one of the gifts, just to bring everybody up to speed, that being one of the gifts that he referenced in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and that he references again in 1 Corinthians 14, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. For tongues, another gift, they'll cease. For knowledge, another gift, it will pass away. What's he saying? All these gifts that that you have, that you walk in, that you're operating in, they're going to go away. Guess what? On the other side of eternity, when we get to heaven, it doesn't matter. We're all singing. We're all worshiping. And the fact that the person next to you is going to sing out of tune into heaven isn't going to bother you in heaven. Gives you something to look forward to. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect one comes, when Jesus comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, 
even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. But the greatest of these is love. And then he goes on in in chapter 14, and I'm just going to give you this for free. Pursue love. And earnestly desire gifts, but pursue love. Pursue love. And so what Paul is saying here is this. If you're the greatest singer in the world, in the world, but you don't have love, it's nothing. If you think you are God's gift to summit because you are the most extroverted person and you welcome everybody in the planet, but you don't love Jesus, you're never going to be satisfied. I am convinced, I am convinced that many of our frustrations around Christianity and church and Jesus and all of these things center around the fact that we're pursuing the wrong thing. Many of us are pursuing finding the right church when our real pursuit ought to be the right view of God. Many of us have the wrong pursuit. Many of us are trying to find where we fit instead of where we're called. Many of us are trying to find what makes us feel right as opposed to what God is calling us to fix. Let me tell you something. If I ever find the perfect church that made me feel good, where I fit in, where, I, where, where there was nothing to be fixed, I don't want to go there. Why? Number one, I'll ruin the perfect church because I'm not perfect. And number two, that'd be pretty boring. I love our misfit crew because there's a lot here that we need to fix. Right? And so I believe that a lot of our frustrations in life are stemming not from a lack of, but rather a wrong pursuit. A wrong pursuit. And what Paul says here is, hey, let's pursue a more excellent way. There's a more excellent way, and let's pursue that. And it's called love. You guys good? Okay, when we love someone, when we love someone, how many of you know that when we love someone, it changes how we act towards them, right? When we love someone, it changes how we act towards them. I want you to understand what the argument in here is. If we look at the first three verses of, of chapter 13, and we had some issues with the screen, so I don't know if the sermon notes are up there or the, or the, or the, or the words, but that's okay. It's a pretty well-known passage. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries, all the knowledge, and I have all the faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I have away, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What Paul is getting across one more time is that you can have every single spiritual gift, but if you don't have love, it's worthless. It's all 
worthless. And so to put it in the context of the entire argument, those people who were worried about how superior they were because of their spiritual gifts, those people who just knew that life would be easier if only everyone else were like them, in the eyes of Paul, their real problem wasn't simply a lack of focus on God, it was a lack of love. And his message to them is that for the follower of Jesus, love is the greatest thing that we can have. Love is the greatest thing that we can show. Now, can, 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 can I pause here for a moment? Because I, I heard something this past week that just really moved me. And he was, in, in, and he was talking about leadership, and, 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 and he said, he said, uh, he said to, he said, to leadership, he said, you've decided that you're an introvert and so you're not a leader. Right? And that's the argument. Well, I don't like people. So, no, you've decided that you don't like people. And so, so many of us excuse our lack of love by saying, that's not my personality. No, you're just not being kind. You can be an introvert and get peopled out really quickly And still be kind. And still love people. See, see, it's, it's not... It, mm-hmm. Or, let's talk about another one. Let's talk about another one. And this one's a little personal to me. It's not that I don't love people. It's not that I don't love people. It's not that, it's not that I'm, I'm an introvert or mean. I've been hurt. And so sometimes it's hard for me to run up and, and embrace folks or to, or to go deeper with folks. Not, not, because, not because I don't like you or because I don't want to, but because there's something inside of me that says, Oh, but if you do that, they could hurt you. If you if you share that, they might not accept you. And so these ideas of these lies that we tell ourselves or these excuses that we make of being hurt or, 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 or our personality types or what, ha- or what have you. They're just that. They're excuses. We can still love one another. We don't have to excuse love away. All right, that might be the hardest thing we say today. I'm not sure. Okay, you still good? So to show the superiority of the love, Paul, de- Paul begins by defining what love is. He begins to define what love is in verse 4. That is the explanation, not only is beautiful, okay, but it's largely tailored to what they needed to hear. So he begins with love is patient. I had to start with that one, didn't he? I had to start with that one, didn't he? We, we, we were joking this morning, we were so glad that patience is not one of the Sundays of Advent. But I guess it is, because when we talk about love, the first thing that Paul defines love as is patient. But what does Paul know? 
right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, let's, let's look at this. Let's dive into this a little bit because he begins with a passive and an active description of love, right? He begins with a passive and an active description of love. Patience is the passive. It is what automatically happens when love is present, that you're patient with the people around you that you love. When we love someone, we automatically give them the benefit of the doubt, don't we? When we love someone, when we truly love someone, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We give allowances for their faults. We give allowances for their weaknesses. What one person may find annoying, another person may find endearing. And the difference in that is love. It's love. Again, when we love someone, it changes the way we act towards them. The greater truth here is that if we live a life of love, this won't be just true to a select few of individuals. It will mark our lives and the way we treat the people around us. Love is patient. And then there's the matter of kindness. This is the action. This is the active verb. Kindness is defined as a helpful act. In other words, if we live a life of love, it will show in the helpful things that we do for other people. And so Paul starts by using two words to describe what love is. It's patient, it's kind. And then Paul shifts, he transitions to describing what love is not. The first five things that Paul mentions love is not are connected to the things that he's already told them they need to stop. Look at it. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. He begins by saying that love does not envy. See, jealousy is about desiring something for yourself, but love is about putting others above yourself. Love is about putting others above yourself. And this is hard, isn't it? I experienced this this past week. This time of year, y'all, uh, and it really starts in October, okay? But, but y'all, which is Southern for you all, okay? Okay? Y'all like to fatten up your pasture, okay? And so these things just arrive. These goodies arrive. And they're all, most of them are really good, Okay? And, and, uh, and, and this happened this past week, and we got, we got this, this little goodie bag of about eight peanut butter balls. Now, 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 let me just pause for just a moment, okay? Okay? You need to think about this, family. You're given a family of six. Eight tiny peanut butter balls. You got the message? Okay, very good. So what had happened was we decided, because, because Kristen is a very, she's, she's far more loving than I, than I am when it comes to food. Because my temptation was when I saw what they were to not express to the kids what they were. And then Kristen and I would each have four. But then, the rugger, I mean, the kids discovered 
that they were peanut butter balls, and then everybody had to have the same amount. And so if you do the math, I got like one and a third of a peanut butter ball. You should have seen Kristen with a knife cutting these peanut butter balls in equal amounts so that everybody got the same amount of peanut butter ball. And then you just start shifting your focus to praying that, that one of them doesn't like it. <laughs> right? So that then that extra can go, oh, you don't like it? Bummer. Here, I'll eat it. Right? I'll take one for the team. I'll sacrifice. Well, daddy, I slobbered all over. It doesn't matter. Just a little more salty, right? All good. Okay? All good. Right? And so in, 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 where are we talking about? In, uh, in envy, right? Hey, it'll get better, man. Don't leave now. Okay? <laughs> Jealousy is about desiring something for yourself, but love is about putting others above yourself. Not worrying about the amount of peanut butter ball, but just accepting and cherishing the fact that you got any at all. Right, family? Okay, you see where we got there? Okay, I, whew, I just feel so much better now having gotten that off my chest. Okay, thank you so much. And then he goes on and says it does not boast. Now, boasting is done, anybody know, ever noticed this? Okay, boasting is done to establish position right? When I boast, I'm establishing position. But where there is love, there is no need to establish your position, right? You never have to worry about where you rank with someone when there's love. You never have to worry about are you closer with with this person than another person when there's love. It's not about rank. It's not about establishing position because you're already secure with those who who whom you love and that love you back. That's the greatest thing about love, is that it's not earned, so you don't lose it. And here's where love gets tricky and hard. Is that because of that, outside of God, there is no love. There can be love, I'll rephrase that, but not true love because of what 1 John says, God is love. He's the purest example of love, and only by following Him and seeking to allow Him to make us into His image can we truly love others. Greater love than this, that one lay their life down for their friends. Love requires sacrifice, and Jesus made the greatest sacrifice. God, in sending Jesus, made the greatest sacrifice. And so love is not positional. It's not about establishing position because when there's love, there's no need in that. The next thing that Paul tells us that love is not is that it's not proud. You understand that pride is an emotion and when, we, and, and when it's for a healthy reason, it's a healthy emotion. But Paul is saying that love isn't like that. It may be proud of what God does. It may be proud of righteousness, but it's not going to be so proud that it can't take a look at itself. Love this side of heaven in our relationships can never be complete. If you're married, that's why you do date night. Right? That's why you continue to fall in love with one another every day. Every day. All right, this isn't a marriage message, but okay. Then he goes on. 
Love is not rude. Love is not rude. He says it's not arrogant or rude. A better translation is that it does not shamefully or disgracefully, right? In other words, when you love someone, you try not to do things to shame them or put them down. That's why you have to be a little careful about sarcasm in love, right? Which I'm not good at. But in addition, when you live a life of love, you won't treat other people that way. Paul says that love is not self-seeking. Once again, he's listing something that love is not, but he's already called them on doing it in chapter 12. And so the secret of this passage is that there's, there was nothing wrong with this church that couldn't be fixed, that the people would just live with a love for God that overflowed in them to love one another. You know what? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this world that can't be fixed with love. The issue is that the only way that people can ever really learn to love and how to live with love is from God and the source of love. So Paul tells us two things that love is. It's patient and kind. Paul says five things that love is not. And now he lists two more verbs that are universally excluded as well. In other words, Paul is saying that even though you guys haven't blatantly done these yet, you don't think about it. Don't think about it because they're a bad idea too. First is that love is not easily angered. Hmm. Is that convicting to anyone else or just me? Just me. Okay, very good. <laughs> this is similar to love is patient, but a bit more pointed. It means that a person who lives with love is not easily provoked to anger. You've heard the term, you're pushing my buttons. You're getting under my skin. When love is present, a lot of buttons have to be pushed before someone who loves gets angry. And we could talk more about that. But the next one is uh, that it keeps no record of wrongs. I, when, I'm, when I'm doing premarital or marital counseling with couples, one of the things I, 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 I give them is, is, is these 15 nevers of communication. 15 nevers of communication. Because one of, one of them is don't say never or always. Right? You never, you never put the groceries away. Right? You always, you know, you always make me late. Right, you all. Why? Because if number one, it's not true. Right, the nevers or the always aren't aren't true. And number two, if we're if we're doing that, then we're what scorecarding our relationships, which is never a good idea. Right, you don't want to scorecard your relationships. So when when you hear, well, you 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 you, you know, you never respond to my texts. Well, that's not. That's not true. I just don't respond to the dumb ones. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was not a... I was talking about Dan's texts when I... <clears throat> talk about... Right? <laughs> or, or someone else's, not Kristen's. Um, right? What, you, what, you, what you're showing there is that you're keeping a scorecard. Does scorecarding communicate love? In our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our relationships with our kids, 
You never call me, you only call your mother. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score of negative things. This is something that, 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 <clears throat> that comes up all throughout the, the book of Corinth because they wanted to keep score. They wanted to see who was better. They wanted to be the best. When someone does something harmful to us, we're supposed to let it go. We're supposed to forgive. And here Paul says, it's the loving thing to do, but it's also for our good. Love does not delight in evil, Paul says, but rejoices in the truth. Love does not delight in evil because it rejoices in the truth. And if we understand this, then we come a long way towards understanding part of the nature of God. See, so many people can't understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They can't understand Christianity and this thing that we're doing today because they don't get the meaning of the statement that love does not delight in evil but rejoices in this truth. See, here's the meaning of the statement. Many many people picture God as the judge up in the sky determining if we're good. If we're good enough. The truth is, we're not good enough. And that's okay. Because God already knew that when he purchased us. And as we like to say around here, he didn't have a return policy on us. He didn't care about if L.L. Bean ever changed their return policy, because that's not what he was looking for. Okay? He sacrificed himself as a payment for our shortcomings. And why did he do that? For God so loved the world. Because he loves us. And in his love, this statement is true. That love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And so after giving us that insight into the character of God, Paul tells us four things that love always does. Let's look at them quickly. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. These are the things that love always always does. These are the things that we should do for one another and the way that we should treat one another. And the best of all these things, the best of all these are the things that God does for us. These are the the does and the don'ts of love, the do's and the don'ts of love, the things that love is and love is not. And then we see this paragraph, love never ends. It's for prophecies, they'll pass away. For tongues, they'll cease. For knowledge, they'll pass away. We get to this transitional paragraph that, that compares love to the spiritual gifts. And in Paul's mind, love is greater. That's the opening statement in verse 8. Love never ends. It doesn't mean that there won't be problems or difficulties. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get tired and frustrated and be more irritable. But it does mean that those things won't destroy love. No matter what happens, love will stay. And then we see Paul get really personal. Remember, he's just gotten done talking to them about spiritual gifts. It's something that they're proud of and then he really hits them with with when it comes to these gifts, they're not going to last. They're not going to last. They're going to pass away. In other words, you guys have been so proud 
of these gifts, but they're temporary. You know, one of the things that I have loved over the last three years, but has been really exhausting, is the fact that we have moved like 90 times. <laughs> That's what it feels like. We've, we've adapted. We had like 12 weeks where we met outside and we had to be in these little pods 10 feet apart and we had porta potties. We became really proficient in the porta potty industry and how they worked. It's awesome. But you know what it showed me? That I love you more than I love any space that we meet in. We're going to get to worship together in eternity, but we're not going to take these chairs with us. We're not going to take the drums with us. The devil's in the drums anyway. So they're not going to be allowed in heaven, even though the Bible talks about drums. So that's always confused me where people get that. I guess, never mind. <clears throat> when it comes to love... We have to be careful not to fall in love with the product. But remember that love is in the people. Somebody asked me recently if I didn't, if I wasn't the pastor of Summit, what church would I go to? Where would, where would I be? Where would I go? And I don't know if they were looking for another church and so they were trying to figure out what I would think or, or what. But let me tell you something, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be passive-aggressive with anything here. This is just truly how I feel. I love you. I don't care if I've got to sit on a center block, a pew, a, a, a plushy chair, a metal chair, a chair with arms, a chair without arms. If we sing Christmas songs all the time, which I struggle with, just going to be honest with you, I love them on the radio. I love them in Freeport. I love them in my living room at my house. But sometimes I worry that we don't understand what we're singing and we're just singing these feel-good Christmas carols and yada, yada, yada. If you ever want a deep dive and, and a good study, study what a Christmas carol is. Silent Night, the story of how that song was written, unbelievable. Inspiring. And so anyway, I digress. I don't care. I, don't, I just don't care what I want is to be around you. And I believe that is the heart of what Paul is getting at when he talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Because what's Paul's aim Anytime Paul writes, here, here, here's, here's something big. If you're taking notes, write this down, remember this, impress this into your mind because it'll make a lot more sense when it comes to Paul's writing. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so it would serve us well to get familiar with this. Anytime Paul writes to a church, his aim is maturity within that church. Why? Because God's aim for why the church exists is for us to mature. 
And so what Paul is getting at here when it comes to love is he's saying, hey, quit comparing how many Sunday school classes you've taught. Quit comparing how many Bible lessons. Quit comparing who's, who's better at this and who's better at that and who's more important as far as their gifts. If you have to worry about a hierarchy of a leadership structure within your church because you want to know that you're the one in charge, you probably shouldn't be on that team. Because of all you're seeking is control, and, and, and so that you can be on the decision-making team, then God help that church. Because the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is the only senior pastor that every, any church can get. That's why I'm uncomfortable when people are like, oh, that's my senior pastor. No, that ain't me. That's Jesus. I'm, the, I'm, I'm a lead pastor. I'm the dude that talks. I'm the whatever you want to... Like, whatever, uh, the dude that talks too long, right? Whatever, I'm the, uh, whatever you want to call me. My son, never mind, I'm not going to tell you that, that's personal. <clears throat> Ezra's got a new nickname for me, you can ask him, okay? Um, the church ought to be known for love. I think it was like 2000, 2001, it really, it really, uh, it was a little bit later than that. It might have been 2002, 2003. It was right after 9-11. And um, there, was a, there was a music group called the Black Eyed Peas. Anybody ever? Okay. Support group, because y'all shouldn't be listening to that stuff. Okay. But they wrote, they wrote a song around that time, and the title of it was, Where's the Love? And, it, and, I, and I like the song, it's kind of catchy, you know? But every time I hear that song, I want to answer them, like shout it, because it's right here. This body called the church and the churches that are gathering all around us from Cressy Road United Methodist to East Point, Life Church to Fort Hill, The Rock Galilee all these churches right around us ought to be the beacons of love that the world is looking for but as we talked about last week, when it comes to peace, the church is known way more for what it's against as opposed to what it's for. And let me tell you something. The reason love is last right before Christmas is because I believe it is the most important. Paul even says the greatest of these is love because it should be the thing that oozes out of us. When people see us coming, they should not dread because we are the most loving, gracious, kind, not rude, not arrogant, not proud, not insisting on our own way with mashed potatoes and gravy at Thanksgiving and Christmas, but accepting and loving of all, especially family, those that are outside the church, because we should not expect those that are not Christians to act like it because they don't have the love of God in them. And so stop judging them and writing them off because they don't act like you. Guess what? They're not. And I am sad. 
Every time I talk to someone that's been turned off the, by the church because we did not exemplify love and we exemplified the opposite. And we made them feel worthless. It's okay. There's a group in here this afternoon. We'll blame it on them. And so three, three quick things about love. Uh, I'm so far off my notes right now. Let's try to salvage this thing real quick, okay? We see, kind of in summary, three S's. Okay, love is supreme. Okay, love is supreme. Oh, look, Dave got it. Love is supreme. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Love is supreme. It's greater than tongues. It's greater than prophecy. It's greater than, than knowledge and faith. It's greater than, than outward displays of affection because true heart love is supreme. Number two, love is selfless. It's sacrificial. You give up the rights to the peanut butter balls. It's patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act stupid or whatever. Lack of knowledge. Stupid's probably something you shouldn't say in church from the pulpit. That's stupid. Anyway, it isn't selfish. It doesn't provoke to wrath. It doesn't keep a grudge. It doesn't, keep, it doesn't scorecard greater love than this, than, than one that would lay their life down for their friends. And then love is steadfast. It endures. It is sure. It'll stand forever. I don't often do this, but this this year, um, this year I've learned three things that I wish I could give to each and every one of you, and so I'm going to try in this, and remember that Paul's aim is maturity, and my aim here. Is similar for you. Because when I, when I preach, I don't want you to stay the same. I, f- I forget who wrote it in the New Testament, but the purpose is to grow up in every way into Him, into Christ. And so, and so that's my aim for you. If you walk out of here the same way you walk in every week, Week after week after week. Fire me. Because that's not my aim. I have the responsibility as your pastor to look at Summit Church from a biblical, objective way. There's so much good here. There's so much potential here. There's so much giftedness here. However, I grieve what often appears like a lack of love among us. And that's not just true of here, but as a pastor In this country, I grieve what often appears as a lack of love among the church of Jesus Christ. 
it is easy for us to throw darts at pastors that we don't believe are preaching the gospel. I have a dear friend, his name's Eric Baker, that's taught me a lot about love over the last year. And two Sundays ago, he preached a message on love. And I asked him on Thursday if I could share a couple of things from his message with you. Jesus is calling us to maturity. The fruit of maturity in the church is that we love the church. Now again, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about the building that we're going to go and, and, and sled into this afternoon because it hasn't been plowed yet. Not, not, not talking about that. I'm talking about the person next to you. The person on the other side of the room. The person you've avoided for the last six weeks eye contact with because you're frustrated with them or because you think they don't like you. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. There are people here this morning that say they love the church. And then there are people that actually love the church. And without raising your hand or shouting out, which one are you? Do you know the opposite of love is not always hate? More often, the opposite of, the opposite of love is apathy. Apathy is defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. It's indifference. And many of us struggle with apathy when it comes to one another. And I want to call us out on it. Because in the same way that we look at our kids from time to time and say, I wish you would just grow up. Because that just shouldn't bug you. Or you know what, why don't you care for your brother or sister and don't be indifferent about what just happened to them. Well, he deserved it. Says who? If sin, Satan, and death can destroy a local church... They will also deceive us through apathy. Yet, 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 4.2, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Ephesians 5.1, Be imitators of God as His beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Two more. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Yes, it's husband and wife, but, but don't miss. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. 
and we ought to lay our lives down for one another. Summit, we love because we want to reflect the very character of God. Not because it feels good. Not because it's the right thing to do. But because we want to reflect the very character, the very nature of who God is. Jesus is patient and kind to the church. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist in his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus and his love for the church never ends. Let me be clear. I'm not calling you from guilt, shame, or condemnation. For there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus, but rather I call you from love to love. Do you love the church? We'll never love the church until we first love Jesus. So family, listen. Three things that have meant the world to me this year are these sayings. I love you. And I want you to... Kristen, will you come up here for a second? I love you a little bit faster. (laughs) She slowed down, didn't she, when I said that? Up here. I know. Thank you. She just said I was the worst, but she loves me. (laughs) It's not her gifting. I think it means more to say we love you. A lot. Every decision we make. Everything. And some people would say, oh, well, that, that's just too much. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not making it about us. I'm trying to model something for you. Everything. We have given up 80 degrees every day. <laughs> we have given up sweet tea. We love you. Second thing, you're not alone. We're here. We're not going anywhere. When I die one day on a Sunday afternoon after preaching a message here in my sleep, and Ian does my funeral. I want, I want you to know and all I want to be said at that place is that Travis loved Jesus. He loved Kristen and his kids and he loved you so much that he just wanted to be with you.
You're not alone. Whatever you're walking through, we're with you. You might see me a lot more than you see Kristen, but know that every time I leave my house and come be with you, she's sending me. She feels the weight of this place just as much. The call to be a pastor's wife is far greater than the call to be a pastor. And so even though you may feel the love more from me because I'm the one in front of you, we're with you. And you're not alone. And the third thing, is you're so worthy. We need you. And more than we need your money, your attendance, whatever, we need your gifting. We need you to show up. We need you to love the church so that you want to get involved with what he's doing here. I don't want to be the team that Jesus looks at and says, man, those guys have so much potential. Paul says later to the church at Corinth that I will spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. And Summit Church, I want to embrace that as a body to the town of Gorham, to southern Maine, to the world, that we will spend and be spent for the sake of these souls. We will spend and be spent so that you feel loved, so that you know you're not alone, and so that you know that Jesus has a plan for you. So I want to pray for us. And before I do, my ask of you today is that you just start by loving. For you today, that may be looking someone in the eye on your way out and saying, I'm glad you're here. But may we grow up into a pursuit of Jesus that can only result into more love as opposed to anything else that we've talked about this morning. God, I thank you that you loved us first. God, I thank you that you have called us to a greater love. God, I thank you That love is not based in our circumstances or the way we feel in a moment. It's based in the person and work of Jesus. And so God, shift our attention. Change our focus from only being able to see the inconveniences and the frustrations and the letdowns in front of us because you tell us in Scripture to anticipate those but God, help us to see that your love is greater, is better, it's worth it, and that you've called us to share it. 
God, we may be coming in contact this week with some people that are hard to love. We may be coming in contact this week with people who are at the center of our deepest hurts. And God, I pray that your grace would help us to not hold things against, but to embrace and love. And God, my prayer for this body, my prayer for Cressy Road, for Life Church, for Fort Hill, for Galilee, for the churches that I know share the same heart, is that we as Christians would be known by our love. Because of our pursuit of you. Because of our pursuit of you and because love is your very nature. So help us to grow out of being irritated and arrogant and grow into being patient and kind and exemplifying your love to one another and to the world. We love you. And we love your church. And we are thankful that we get to be a part. In Jesus' name. Amen.